Welcome to Temple Talks, a new podcast from Temple Israel in Minneapolis, where Jewish wisdom meets our ever-changing world. Join us as we talk with our favorite partners and thought leaders from around town and around the world. We hope these talks will inspire you, challenge you, and give us all new ideas about Judaism, religious life, and social justice. Our guest for Temple Talks today is Yotam Odalengi, the Israeli-born, London-based chef who will be our guest here at Temple Israel next spring. He's one of the most influential chefs of today and popularized vegetable-forward Middle Eastern cooking together with his Palestinian creative partner, Sammy Tamimi. Yotam Odalengi, welcome. I am a rabbi who cooks, and I love being involved in your cookbooks. They're amazing, not only because of the food and the rose water and all the beautiful tastes and smells that come from every one of your recipes, but I'm just wondering, we've gone through COVID. How has that changed the reality of food and gathering around food? What what for you is essential about bringing people around a table in the time that we're living in right here, right now? And the key word is essential, because I think the way we've changed our perspective of I've changed my perspective is about what is essential. I think we've all had that notion that certain things were had to be done in one particular way and not in another particular way. And that often applies in the kitchen. And um, and I think what we've discovered is that there's a, uh, many ways to do things. And COVID kind of forced us this, you know, from the very beginning, where there's a shortage of uh, ingredients in some supermarkets. We couldn't get what we wanted or what yeah. we needed and not, and not as often. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all of a sudden we were stuck with things that were maybe a bit less glamorous, a bit less exciting, you know, like a can of chickpeas or, or a bag of, short grain rice we haven't used for a long time or polenta or something we we kind of dug up from the bottom of back of the freezer you know uh-huh. these things that were never going to be the the stars of the party right like of the dinner party but all of a sudden we had to yeah and i think i think that was a really wonderful wake-up call uh because it, it means that you you understand that you could create delicious meals and i understood or i saw or i had to see that i could create delicious meals out of whatever was there uh, so, you know, thinking of the, your feet, a bit like people in, in previous generations used to do, you know, they wouldn't walk, go out to the shop every time they need a fillet of fish, you know, or they needed a, you know, a, a fillet of beef or there was, there was just that, not that kind of sense of abundance that we, we, we're used to now. And that had led a lot of creativity. And, you know, in my home, I can say we had lots of, like when I served my key, my kids, a lot of curries because we had quite a lot of lentils mm-hmm. and split peas and things like that that make that make a really good curry so we had those often or um whatever vegetables they was around often i would kind of slow cook and make something um like a, that i would kind of cook eggs in a bit like a shakshuka but with whatever that, that was available all those options all of a sudden you kind of have to take because otherwise you know you're going to just sit around and pray for the day for for for, for to go back in time, but you know, that just doesn't happen, unfortunately. A lot of shakshuka, a lot of shakshuka. <laughs> <laughs> a good red sauce and some red pepper sauce, and you're good, you're good. <laughs> well, but but the, the thing, the lovely thing about this is that it doesn't need to be a red sauce. I it mean, that's, yeah. I've been, yeah, it could be 
uh, the other day, I took uh, something that, um, you know, a, a spinach and base, uh -huh. um, a bit like an Indian spinach, the way they cook it, and I threw the eggs in there because that's all I had and made a delicious brunch out of that for a bunch of friends that we were um, camping with. And that was, you know, it wasn't a shakshuka in the way that we know it, right. but it was as, as good as and with from something completely different. So, and I, because I didn't have rice and it was breakfast anyway, so it wasn't really the right time. So that turned into shakshuka. So, yeah, you know, you know, thinking creatively, thinking on your on your feet, and just doing things slightly differently. This is one of the lessons that I think we all we all learn. Which is beautiful. So how did yeah. you get into this world? You didn't start out as a chef, I know. I've, I've no. listened to some other podcasts. So give us your story. Okay, well, it's it's long now because I'm uh, in 53. So, you know, it's quite a few years <laughs> that we need to cover. <laughs> you could be 62 like me. Then you'd have 10 more oh, years. Oh, no, you're not 62, are you? <laughs> so, yeah, I was born in Jerusalem. Um, I didn't have... Uh, chef written in my stars not a, not when i started you know it was uh, I, I i was a son of an academic family my father was a university professor he's he was in the chemistry department my mom was a math teacher and a head head teacher in a school school so i was kind of destined for um you know for more an academic career than the one i've taken so as, as soon as i finished school and i, I did my army service i went to a university in tel aviv and I studied um, literature and philosophy and a bunch of other hum subjects in the humanities. I was very interested in that. And I did a master's degree. And um, as I was, and especially I was interested in subjects that had to do with arts, representation in the arts, uh, but really nothing to do with food. Um, well, now that I look back, I think like maybe there is some connections because, you know, the way I, I look at food is very visual and could be related to that kind of those um, aspects of my education. But at the time, that didn't, it couldn't be more different from from what I was doing. And um, so I, I, I studied the university. I completed my, my master's degree in philosophy and literature and then i decided that i'm not really satisfied <laughs> but i think the main thing was that I, I i didn't feel that it had made an impact or the, the conversation felt very uh small and insular and very academic and didn't feel like i didn't feel like uh, i'm i'm in the real world in some ways and uh, so i decided to take time off and i came to london and i um, I, I, I've started to learn how to cook. I went to the Cordon Bleu, the French culinary school, and I took a few courses there. And then um, I, uh, I started working as a pastry chef in different restaurants in London and cafes. And that was kind of the beginning of my culinary career as a pastry chef. And I really enjoy, I still love baking and pastry. Um, I love it for a different reason, to eat it, but also because I love the, how uh incredible the transformation is from one thing to the next if you hear some noise that's because there's a train going over our head oh well there I'm you in, go yeah i'm in my te my te test kitchen in north london and there's uh we're just under under way way line so there's there are always going to be some kind of <laughs> i love that i love that i lived outside the d train in new york and so i i stopped hearing it but everyone else yeah. heard it exactly especially on a podcast what's that oh that's just the train i can't <laughs> hear it anymore but. exactly 
um, yeah, so so this is how I started, really, that, how I got into cooking. I, I mean, the, the year off from university became, you know, the rest of my life. That's, that's how it worked. It's the way you learn, right? That's it's true learning. Is, is Yeah, I think we just don't know. And the one thing that I have to feel, I feel quite great, you know, grateful for the fact that um, it, we live in a world where, especially, and, and it still was the case when I was doing all this more than 20 years ago, uh, that um, there's more flexibility. What you start out, out doing it at, at one point doesn't need to be the end game. You know, you you change and you you transform. And and what I, you know, I thought I was going to be an, an academic and I ended up being a chef. So, you know, it, it's it, that flexibility is a really wonderful thing. And I'm, I'm glad I allowed myself the, the freedom to explore in such a way. And because my, you know, I didn't, my father didn't think it was the best idea. You know, <laughs> he, he, he thought I was wasting my, my intellect and my, my potential by, uh, by moving into the kitchen. Well, you wrote many beautiful books. So that can be from your academic background. That's right. That's right. No, that's fine. And, and it's, it is very, um, to be honest, I think that it is uh, um, an advantage that I feel that I have because I'm, I think I'm pretty good at, at presenting my work, mm -hmm. you know, at presenting my food. Um, other chefs don't have that advantage of having done this. And I've always been interested in words and, and you know, and, and, and in um, dialogue and being able to have a real uh, good idea intellectually of what it is that stands behind what you're doing even though what you're doing has got nothing to do with words but the ability to describe to engage to be able to talk about it is something that i'm glad i, I can do um, because it gives me a kind of a, an advantage i can i can philosophize about the food a little bit yeah i think that is so let's move to your partnership with sammy and mm -hmm. the beautiful book Jerusalem, which gives me just those memories of waking up and going to Machine Yehuda and going to the small coffee shop that's open at seven in the morning and watching it wake up. So yeah. talk to me about the partnership, about the the cookbook Jerusalem with its incredible photographs. Yeah, um, gladly. Um, so yeah, I mean, so Sammy and I, to those who don't know, we were both born in Jerusalem and we were born in the same year. He was born to a Palestinian family and I was born to a Jewish family. Um, and unbeknownst to us, we had quite similar trajectories in life. You know, we both moved to Tel Aviv um, in our early 20s as kind of or late teens. I think Sammy moved a bit earlier as uh, young men, we uh, young gay men. And then we uh, both moved to London in the same year, 1997. We both work in, you know, we both ended up working in the same kitchen in London, really by chance. You it's know, I amazing. just knocked on the, yeah, I knocked on the door one day because I loved that place and because it was a beautiful cafe or de and deli that served freshly made um, pastries and cakes and food. And Sammy was the chef cooking the food, and I thought like I've got to work in this place because it just looks so beautiful. Hmm. And um, and the manager was not there, so Sammy. Uh, who was kind of in charge that they started talking to me and said, uh, and we got talking and, and, um, and even for the first 10 minutes, we didn't realize we could actually 
moved from English to Hebrew because he speaks fluent Hebrew. And, uh, and, uh, and, but we didn't quite realize that how connected and how close we are. And then we started looking back and understanding what, so how much we actually have in common in terms of both growing up in Jerusalem, both having that gone through on that journey to Tel Aviv and then to London and the personal aspects and the, and the food aspects, you know, so we became very close friends and we spent a few years, you know, you know, working in the same workplace. And then a few years later, I was going to open my first business, which was the Otolengi Deli in Notting Hill and um, a food shop and, uh, and Noam Barr, who is our other partner, and I were setting that up together and Sammy was not really going to join us at, at the beginning because he was um, he was a little bit terrified because it did seem quite um, you know cheeky what, what we were doing seems quite nerve you know uh, you know we were quite young we had no idea we just said oh we'll open it a glamorous cafe and restaurant in Notting Hill and but eventually he realized we were serious so about three weeks before we were about to open he jumped the ship and joined us and, and brought with him his expertise in in this in food because I was really focused only on pastries at the time mm-hmm. and uh, so he became uh, the third partner we had later had another partner and um, and this is how the kind of the, the business connection also but we had our friendship much quite a few years um, earlier than that. And uh, we ran that business for, for, for quite a few years. And then at some point, about 10 years later, and our partner, Noam, said, why don't you guys do your next cookbook should be about Jerusalem uh-huh. uh, about the, and the food. And Sammy and I were both a little bit reluctant at first because it almost felt like taking a step back rather than like moving forward because... Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we never really defined our food as Israeli or Palestinian. I mean, we are even Middle Eastern. It was a kind of all the things that we collected along the way. It would have North African influences and maybe some from East Asia and South Asia influences from Southern Europe, Italy and Greece. So you could find lots of elements in our food, but we would never define ourselves as Israeli or Palestinian cooks. Uh, so kind of like pigeonholing by ourselves or, or pushing ourselves into this kind of Middle Eastern corner seemed first uh, like a step back. But um, but in actual fact, so, but but we, we, we very clearly, we, we said we'll try. And once we started talking about the food, we realized that uh, there's huge potential for us in, in this book. Because first of all, we it was really interesting in terms of in, in, in personal terms, just to kind of go back and understand uh, how our culinary worlds have evolved, you know, what, where we came up or out from. But it was also very emotional, you know, really going back after having, we both haven't lived in Jerusalem for a good, um, you know, 20 years by then, because this was in the, I don't know, 2011 or something when we wrote, published that book, or 12. And both of us left uh, Jerusalem in the 1990s. So, you know, it was a long time since we've lived there. And so it was a kind of a personal journey of discovery and going back. And we we were, we were reminiscing about the Machneuda market that you talked about, about all the beautiful almost little shops and restaurants in the old city in the, in the, in the Palestinian part. And, you know, all these sensibilities, you know, the herbs and the yogurt and the and the, obviously the chickpeas and the, the eggplants. I mean, those those were things that as soon as we got started, we couldn't, we couldn't stop. 
and that's how the book came came about from this 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 dialogue and conversation between us about our the foods of our childhood. Plus, I took on me to do a big research about things that I didn't know about, which is quite a lot about the culinary heritage of different Jewish immigrants to Jerusalem, the different communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, from all mm-hmm. over the world, mm-hmm. from Libya, from Syria, from Eastern Europe, from mm-hmm. uh, from Northern Europe, from, you know, there's a lot of Jews that have come from all over the Middle East that have created an incredible cuisine, Sephardi cuisine mm-hmm. um, in Jerusalem, which, uh, which you know, we both grew up he- eating. I me more than Sammy because I was exposed to it more in West Jerusalem than you could in East Jerusalem. But essentially that became a really interesting, almost like an anthropological, uh, you know, investigation into the, the food of the city from all those interesting perspectives. That's great. Well, my, my daughter says that Jerusalem is so chaotic because everyone's living in a different century. So I feel like that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I don't have, uh, my mom doesn't live there anymore. And my sister and I both left Jerusalem. She lives in near Tel Aviv. But my, my niece, her daughter lives in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. She goes to film, to film school. She went to film school there. She graduated and now she's working in the film industry and uh-huh. TV industry. And uh, we, it is like everybody's. She lives in the twenty second century, and you feel other people <laughs> living in the in the sixteenth century. 17th you know, it's like, century. I mean, it's like yeah, <laughs> it is. It's That's it's mind boggling, right. mind boggling. Yeah. In in working with um, a Jew and Palestinian, and what what does Jewish Israeli, a Palestinian Israeli, what? What did you learn about each other? You know, there's so much about the conflict and there's so much happening in West Jerusalem and East Jerusalem that yeah. is about collaboration. And I don't think um I, I don't think North American Jews know about all of that. So I'm just yeah. wondering if you So I mean Sammy and I came I have to say that we really spent the first decade or so of our friendship or uh, not really talking that much about the, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict in the sense that we were both, um, we kind of, I think we both realized, we both chose uh, to remove ourselves, you uh-huh. know, from that from that world. Mm-hmm. It was very convenient for us mm-hmm. uh, not to have to talk about it because also we, we really, did, we kind of also have a very similar politics, you know, yeah. we, we were both very left-leaning and understanding, and we have our own. You know, we we never felt that we we had anything to um, any issues to to mm-hmm. iron out. You know, mm-hmm. it's because also because due to the fact that I think what you're saying is very true that there is a lot of overlaps and similarities between col- between those cultures, and whether they like it or not, you know, there's a lot right. of overlap, especially in the culinary world, and mm-hmm. and uh, and. There aren't a lot of collaborations, but there are some, and um, and and I think we were living in a quite a slightly more naive world than the one we live in today, yeah. uh, where we could kind of keep ourselves removed from the conflict. But recently, we have had to, uh, especially after the publication of the book, where the the conflict has become more heated. Mm-hmm. And more complicated, less, um, you know, in the late, in the mid nineties, things seemed to be in the late nineties still okay to yeah. a certain degree, mm-hmm. uh, but not, which is not the case, unfortunately, now. So we have been kind of drawn into this world, 
Uh, but we it never really it has never been a problem for us mm-hmm. with each other because again mm-hmm. we see things quite different uh, different you know recently with the con with the um uh with the um uh escalation that happened in Gaza mm-hmm. and Israel mm-hmm. uh, it was very difficult not to be drawn into this but mm-hmm. we did it individually each one in its own way on social media but it was a very difficult thing it's very hard to stay uh you know um disengaged uh because this this conflict in particular the last one was was uh lived out in you know in the whole world so mm-hmm. we we did but but it has never been a problem for us mm-hmm. well i know that it's um life is so much more complicated and i and i hear um, you know that that friendships that have a long history can weather even the most complicated situation that presented. I think so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I do think that, yeah, it's very easy to politicize relationships because they are in the grand scheme of things. But when you look at individuals, they don't fall into these places necessarily because because it's just more than that, you know, a friendship is a friendship. I mean, there's a lot that can happen. So I think it all depends on the foundations of what you've got. And and if the foundations are there, then there is really no, no need uh, for it to, uh, to be um, threatened in some way. Right. I'm good friends with a lot of ministers and imams in our town and do a lot of interview work. And so the relation, no one leaves the table, even if it gets, complicated or contentious at all so yeah and it's very it's very it's very important to understand to explain and i i find myself doing that explanation quite a lot that we really need to try as much as possible to stop thinking in black and white because Mm -hmm. it really isn't it doesn't work like that Mm -hmm. uh and although we all would like it to be because it's just easier to navigate it's just this is this is just not the true color of of our world and there is a lot of shades in this country there's a lot of horrible things being done uh to people and you really need to acknowledge that but you also need to acknowledge the conversations have need to continue because otherwise you know it's we are we're totally stuck and that's much worse than any other option much worse much worse so can we move to your your kids? I don't know how old they are. I have three children who are young adults who love to cook. And my middle daughter is in a book club that takes um, cookbooks and they make all the recipes they can out of the cookbook. And she did both Plenty and Jerusalem and came here to cook in my kitchens. <laughs> So I got to experience. Good for you. (laughs) So tell me what you are teaching your children and and what it means for them to to sit around the table. Well, they're quite young. So my youngest one uh, is just turning six. Okay. And so his older brother at the table he, might be hard. Yeah, well, that's it. I was going to, I was going to say that. Uh, so he's six, and his older brother is this is eight. So you okay. know they're quite young. Okay. And um, I mean, but we do. We sit for for a little while, and um, I think for, for for them, you know, it's they are they don't know how lucky they are because both my myself and my husband Carl, we are uh, we serve them 
great food and they take it for granted <laughs> you know mm-hmm. for them, that's just the reality of it and often toss it to them you know you don't know how lucky you are and then you sound like your, your parents yeah, or grandparents yeah, you know, yeah, just, yeah. that's just like every every yeah. generation does that to their unfortunately you can't you, you yeah. can't escape that uh but um yeah i mean i try to to show, to show them as much food as i can and like every like typical you know young young boys they yeah. pick and pick and choose they yeah. don't eat many things but they also eat many things so they're kind of like uh you know one day they won't eat zucchini and the next day they they will just because yeah. they they didn't feel like it etc yeah i think it's we're trying to just open up their culinary world as much as possible you know i i have a rule about the chili sauce you know the chili sauce i said you only need to take a drop because they want to i want you to learn to love it and they yeah. they take that drop and you know they've, they've yeah. developed a bit more tolerance so now they eat more chili and i mean i i just try to um I don't try to to force anything on them because um, I know it doesn't work. Kids always win in these fights, don't they? That's just the nature of our, of the power struggle between generations. Yeah. And so, so, but but I I do enjoy seeing them eat and enjoy uh, good food. And they're great critics, you know. They they catch you out if something is not perfect because they don't. Oh, there's no, always. you know, there's no filters, you know. Yeah. They just tell it as is. No, that's yeah. not as good as you made it before, or that's exactly. just not good. Good, you know. You that's... put too much of that spice in that I don't like as yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's that's just all real good fun, and you know, and yeah. I, they, they're not really. I haven't managed to let, make them sit, stand and cook, you know, for more than five minutes. They've always gone out and play. So, yeah. But I hope one day we'll see. Yeah. Well. Well, they'll see. They'll see the kitchen as a playground, and then that will be. I, I, yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. I hope we get there one day. But they are quite still young, so you know, it's uh, yeah. they will they'll get there. Yeah, I used to have my children, you know, tear off the the basil for pesto. They seemed to like that, and then they were gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And normally leaving more mess than they were they were always, there before. Always, yeah, always. But they're, they're all three love to cook, and they love to eat. Well, that's great. So that's so you've news. you've 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 done well. Yes, yes. My father was an incredible cook, and wow. um, he was a heart surgeon. But he loved to, and he loved to cook and taught me. Well, I, I my father was a was a, a scientist and he loved to cook and I always, I always admired the, him for the way he cooked, which was very precise. Mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, he wanted he knew he wanted it to work the same way it worked last time exactly, mm-hmm. and and his food was wonderful. He comes from an Italian family and. Oh. All his food has really stayed with me because it was just so precise. You know, his ragouts and sauces and stuff mm. were just so delicious. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think it's got to do with it. It has something to do with his, you know, his career as a, as a scientist, you know, being, being, you know, so on top of the details. Yeah. My father is more of an artist even as a surgeon and so he, okay well he that's threw, good <laughs> yeah he, he was also an artist uh, he did you know painting and sculpting and things like that i think he was forced into being a doctor because okay that's what you did sounds then. like it he was yeah. a great doctor but he was an incredible artist as well well and an incredible cook yeah this has been so fun. Thank you. Oh, thank you. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to go upstairs and taste a whole lot of food. 
sounds wonderful chili sauce are you gonna are you gonna make your your favorite uh, I'm, sure, i'm sure there's gonna be something there <laughs> <laughs> well potato bone and thank um, you for that enjoy and and we look forward i look forward to meeting you in person me too yeah thank you marcia all right thank you bye-bye Our guest today has been Yotam Odolenghi. Thank you so much for being with us. You can join Yotam Odolenghi here at Temple Israel next May 2022. Please visit templeisrael.com voices for more details. I had such a fabulous time speaking with this remarkable man. I invite you to join us so you too can hear his beautiful storytelling about an essential sense of sitting around a table and sharing food.